So if you have brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn to just the first chapter of John, verse 29. We're going to hear the story about a man named John, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He had been baptizing out in the wilderness. Um, anybody remember what John was wearing while he was baptizing out in the wilderness? He was wearing clothes. Do you remember what he was wearing? Were they the normal clothes? No, he was wearing like animal skins and kind of weird clothes. Anybody remember what he was eating? Honey and locusts. It's like the fear factor basics, right? He was out there eating them and he was living in the wilderness. And people were coming to hear what he had to say. So here's the account, starting in chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we pray that today you would help us not only hear with our ears, but take it into our hearts what you have to say to us so that we may be good followers of yours on this path, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm your second pastor, and I told you that gave me time to reflect about the word second and how many seconds there are. And I had you tell me what some of those are. In our first week in this sermon series on seconds, we talked about the second as a little tiny piece of time and how you can't really change yourself in a second, but you can see when you get to crucial seconds who you have been training yourself to be. So it matters who we're preparing ourselves to be. And then last week we talked about something the world won't often give us, But God will, and that's a second chance. These are very positive uses of the word second. But there is a second that has a not-so-positive connotation. There are a couple of them. Maybe we'll talk about the other one. Um, But today I wanted to talk about things that you get secondhand. Now, I was the oldest child, so I did a lot of handing down to my younger sister. And if, if it was very unfortunate, like it was a pair of jean shorts, Maybe my younger brother, you know, oh, yeah, maybe, yeah, okay, single-parent family, we're going to make that work. Right, Mom? (laughs) Mom's like, no way. She really didn't do that to my brother. But one thing that did happen, and she said, she said, you do not say who this was, so I can't say who it was. But we went over to a relative's house, and this relative was exceedingly fond of thrift store shopping and going to estate sales. Anybody got a relative like that? Okay, this relative always had extra clothing on hand, just in case. And we were spending the night with this relative. When we came home in the morning from this relative's house, my mom noticed that I was wearing a pair of underwear she had never seen before. 
And in fact, the underwear had the name Shirley on them. And my mom said, take off that underwear immediately. You do not wear secondhand underwear for Pete's sake. It was awful. Shirley underwear. Take those off. That's ridiculous. Can y'all top that? Because you're not laughing about my Shirley underwear story, so maybe you have a better one. You have a better one? Anybody else got a better hand-me-down story? It can't get worse than underwear, right? Okay. We're used to living in a second-hand world, aren't we? A lot of us have a second-hand house. We aren't the first people. Some of us have built our house, but most of us, we're the second or the third or the fifth owner, depending on how old it is. I'm reminded of that every time I walk past the, the sidewalk at my house. There's two, there's little handprints there. They're not my kids. They're the owners before me, kids. And there they are. They're going to be there forever. Those, and it reminds me, this is not, I'm not the first owner of this house. What about cars? Any of y'all, in any time of your life, I bet you've had a secondhand car, right? I have one right now. And the previous owner took great care of it, but you never know. They might tell you, oh yes, a little old lady owned this car. And, she took great care of it, got everything, and then you get the car and you're like, I'm not so sure about the old lady thing. It, it seems to me like maybe some things were left undone with this car, right? Secondhand. Has anybody ever bought anything on eBay? Yes, you have. I know that you have. Secondhand books or secondhand whatever. And you always have to know, I'm not the first one to have this thing. And it's a little different. What about secondhand information? Most of us are used to getting our information secondhand. So there are a few crazy people here among us who went to Aquapalooza. You can notice them from their sunburns and stuff like that. Most of us talked to those crazy people or just went online to look at what it looked like, right? We weren't there, but we heard. This is right in our own neighborhood, and most of us are going to hear about it secondhand. All the things that happen in the world, though, I mean, if somebody said, could you tell us exactly what happened with the Gulf oil spill? You're like, um, let me check on CNN or Fox News or whatever and find out because I wasn't there. You have to rely on your friends or you have to rely on a news source. We're used to secondhand. But sometimes, some rare times, we are actually an eyewitness, right? This happened to my brother. He was driving down 281 going into San Antonio, so he was driving southbound, and he was driving in his second-hand car, and he saw an accident right in front of him. He said a truck veered across two lanes of traffic and smashed into an SUV and flipped it. And he said, I said, what did you do? He said, I was, like, you know, swerving to get out of the way. And he said, when I got past it, you know, he expected, like, some fireball, you know, like they have in the movies. So he says, go, you know, and he pulled over, and he said he ran back to see if he could be of help. And he said, Laura, everybody was okay. Isn't that amazing? I mean, nowadays how safe cars are. And so he said he waited just to make sure everybody was okay, and the police got there. And they were like, okay, victim of the accident, victim involved, involved in you. What were you here for? Exactly. Who said witness? He was the witness. And so he walked up to the officer and said, I was here. I saw it happen. And I'll tell you how it happened if you want to know. And the police officer took down Greg's statement, took his phone number, said, if we need some more information, can we call you? He was the only one who stopped. The only one. 
And so even though there were tire marks and the cars, you know, they can tell a lot from the impact, they took his statement because he was there, because he saw it. Now, Greg told our whole family about that. What if, after I heard Greg's story, I had called up the non-emergency police line and said, hey, you know that accident on 281 with the rollover car? Yes. Can I give you a statement? What would they have asked me? Were you there? Well, no, but my brother told me all about it, and I'd be happy to tell you too. They would have been like, okay, lady, put your Shirley panties back on. (laughs) Let's take it into the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, before Jesus came, we were used to getting things kind of secondhand. There was a priest or there was a prophet or there was a great leader to whom God spoke through the Holy Spirit directly. It was a direct link that most people didn't have, only a select few. And John was one of them. John was one of those people who the Holy Spirit rested upon. If you look in the Old Testament, not everybody had the Holy Spirit resting upon them. Only these few leaders, and John was one of them. So all these people who are used to secondhand information hear about John secondhand, and they go and listen to him, and they say, now this is something different. Here's someone who's speaking with an authority I haven't heard before. And so they start listening to him. Yes, he's wearing weird clothing. Yes, he's eating fear factor food. But he's speaking with the authority of what? A witness. And he's telling them, he's reading the times for them. He's saying the Savior is about to come. God is telling me the Savior is on his way. So how are we going to get ready? Well, we're going to clean up our lives. We're going to set our feet on the path that we know God has laid out for us. We're going to do these certain things so that when the Savior comes, we're ready for him. So this eyewitness is getting people ready. Well, one day, Jesus walks by. Did John know Jesus? We don't know, right? But maybe, maybe he did. I mean, they were sort of distantly related Um, they were cousins, like kind of second cousins or somewhere in there. I get confused with all those second cousin twice removed, but they were somewhere in there. So they might've known each other. And John says several times in this text, what? I didn't know who it would be. I just knew what God had told me the sign would be. The sign would be that I'd see the Holy spirit, that I would see it. And what happens? He sees the Holy spirit falling on Jesus and he starts pointing him out. I saw that happen. This is the Savior. This is the Savior. He's right there. And what happens to people? They start following Jesus. They start going saying, hey, where are you staying? Could I see how this is working? And Jesus says, come along and see. He points them in the right direction. So I know that we're, we're used to living in a secondhand world. We drive secondhand cars, and hopefully you're not wearing secondhand underwear at this point, but we're used to secondhand life. We're used to nobody calling us up and saying, hey, can you tell me exactly what happened here or there? Because we just don't know. We don't have that insider information. But we are eyewitnesses about one thing. Since Jesus Christ has come, we also now have the Holy Spirit. So no longer do we need to go through someone else. We have a direct line with God. Now, what does Jesus say when he leaves? What's the, I asked the first service, and they just kind of stared at me. And so Kevin said, remind people that you actually want them to talk to you. I want you to talk to me. When, when Jesus leaves, if you go to the end of Matthew, the 28th chapter, I'll give you a hint. What does he ask people to do? 
Yes, Jeannie knows, but she's a pastor. Any of the rest of y'all know? There's these two pastors that'll be like, they'll give you the answers, but. Yeah, he does. He says, you're, you've got a mission. Go out. Look, in chapter, in chapter 28, verse 19, I, Jesus says, all authority in this world, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go. You have a mission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey the commands I have given you, and I will be with you as you do it to the end of time. Go be witnesses. It's our calling to be eyewitnesses. But it's kind of scary, isn't it? I think it's kind of scary. Let me, but I think we can do it. And this is why. Because I see people being witnesses all the time. My father is really great at being a witness for the McDonald Observatory. I was talking to him last night and I was like, Dad, I'm going to use you in a sermon. I'm going to tell about how you're like a witness for the McDonald Observatory. He said, I'm the evangelist for the McDonald Observatory. <laughs> he is. Years ago, the McDonald Observatory is um, a place, a research branch of the University of Texas. It's way out, seven hours away in Fort Davis, Texas, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere. It's dark skies and telescopes, and my dad has fallen in love. Okay, he's on the board there. And so he started telling, it's always good to begin with the low-hanging fruit. That's your family. So he started years and years ago with, our, with the family trying to get us to come out to the McDonald Observatory once a year with him for the board meeting. <laughs> Seven hours drive. And my brother and sister who were younger, they went along, and I was like in college and then getting married, and I always had a reason why I didn't go. Mostly it was because it was seven hours away. Okay, and a lot of scientists talking about the stars. And Dad kept saying, Laura, you'll see the universe like you never have before. He, you know, you're going to love it. He said, I'll pay for your hotel room. I'll buy your meals. You know, so eventually it gets to the point where year after year, Dad is asking me and asking me about the McDonald Observatory. And finally, I ran out of excuses. And I remember saying to Kevin, we'll just go this year. We'll just go. We'll never have to go again. We'll just go. Because he's my dad, and I love him, and he loves this. Well, guess what? So we go. We get out there. They pull out the telescopes. Whoa. <laughs> he's right. You see the universe in a whole new way. It's amazing, amazing to see the stars like that. And now, year after year, guess who's going with dad? <laughs> we go with dad. We're going this week. And he'll give me the dates, like, far, Kevin, Kevin actually will be like, uh, what's the dates for next year? And he'll put them on the calendar, <laughs> like, we're going, we're going out there. So my dad hasn't stopped with the low-hanging fruit, though. He's a water lawyer, and so he also talks, you wouldn't think, water law, astronomy, but dad makes it flow. He'll, you know, water law right into astronomy, and he's told his clients about the McDonald Observatory. Some of them have joined the board. One of them has endowed a research chair. That's something my father could have never done with his resources, but because he told someone with passion, with belief, they got involved and they did it. So whenever I think about this, I think about the passionate witness my father is for his telescopes. I wonder who is being the better witness, dad for the observatory or me for my Lord. 
We are witnesses every week about something. Every week you are recommending something to someone. Think about it for a minute. Just think back over your week. What did you suggest or recommend to someone? I'm not going to ask you to do something I wouldn't do. So I went back and I looked over my week, and this, these are the recommendations I made. Someone asked me about my car, Subaru Forester. I love that car. It's a used car, but I love it. And so I told them, oh, that's just the most reliable car. I love it. My first car was a Subaru. You know, now I'm back to a Subaru. I think it's going to run 12 years or more. Blah, 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 blah about my car. Um, this week I also found a really cheap secondhand lap counter. <laughs> Lots of secondhand. It's, you put it on your finger when you're swimming. Kevin and I are swimmers. And then when you do flips in the pool, you don't have to get out and like hit something or move a penny or something. You just click. And I said, Kevin, lap counter. And he was like, Ew. I was like, no, no, no. Lap counter, Kevin. Try it. Try it. Just try it. And sure enough, he gets in the pool, he tries it, and he's like, hey, that's not bad. This week I was telling Jeannie and Whitey how much I like the lake house restaurant. I was telling them with passion how much I like the lake house restaurant. So restaurants, um, car, swimming tool. Let's look at some of this. Anybody here a pretty good witness for the University of Texas? Yeah. And don't try to deny it because I've seen you wearing the horns, okay? So think. Are we being good witnesses for toys and gadgets and sports teams when we might should be using our influence to be witnesses for our Lord? Because, y'all, the University of Texas is amazing, great football program, great school. But telling another person how great they are, is that going to change their lives? Really? Right. Not really. When we get to the end of our days, if I told somebody how great a restaurant is or a lap counter in the pool or a sports team or my car, it's not really going to have any eternal significance. It's not even probably going to have much significance here. But here is something God is asking us to do, saying, you are an eyewitness to what? Well, to the story of what God is doing in your life. That's your first-hand account. What, 150 different stories of the amazing power of God right here in this room? 150 stories that nobody but you can tell. Why aren't we telling them? We don't have to have the Bible memorized to be a witness. You don't have to have a, a plan or a thing that you check through. What John did, he didn't, did he get out his bullhorn and start yelling at people? Everyone come follow me to the wilderness. No, right? He was out there telling the people their story and they came to him. So this week, let's think when God brings you someone who is hurting, who is doubting, who is questioning, who is just curious, and you see that chance, take it. Take it. Tell them about our Lord. It's the best recommendation you could ever make. 
And then what happens? John points out Jesus, and then it's Jesus' turn, right? Dad points out the McDonald's Observatory, then it's the McDonald's Observatory's turn. I make a recommendation about a restaurant, then it's up to that person to go to the restaurant and try. And so once you say, hey, you know what made a difference for me in my life when I was in that point? is Jesus. Do you want to come and learn more about him? Bring them. Bring them here so that they can learn about God and then let God move in their hearts. God loves to do that, loves to show up and talk to people and meet them when they're curious. So I may never be an eyewitness to an oil spill, thank goodness, or even to Aquapalooza. I may be the child who was stuck in secondhand underwear as a kid. But I do know that I'm called to be an eyewitness about one thing. And that is my story. That is for Jesus. So this week, let's look for one time when we won't be pointing to a gadget or a toy or a car, but saying, that's my Lord. Do you want to know more? Let's pray. God, it's really easy to tell people about things that we know that won't offend them, like TV shows and football teams and stuff that we like. But we really like you. And you have made a big difference in our lives, changed them, given us abundant life where we were just living but dead inside. Lord, we would very much like to share you with others so that they could follow you too. Please help us when we have a chance to be brave enough to point to you. Amen.